What is up, young adults? Hey, welcome this evening. Um, glad you decided to join us. This is a community that um, we here at Crossroads, we want to be intentional to grow and invest into you guys, this generation, because, um, gosh, you know, you hear like language at certain churches where they, they talk about next gen, and we even have like Jeremy's our next gen pastor and stuff like that, but man, I kind of hate that language because you guys are the generation, right? I mean, you guys are the generation. God is raising up leaders that are going to absolutely change the world through you guys. What's so cool, I love our baptism weekends. I love our baptism weekends because we always, here at Crossroads, I know a lot of churches do it differently, but we um, have you write your testimony, and as you're uh, there, um, they read your testimony, and so many times, I can't tell you how many times I've heard um, somebody like a mom or a dad getting baptized because their son or daughter met Christ first and their son or daughter like, you know, got them thinking in that direction or, or God used them to, to, to convict the lifestyle that they had. And then all of a sudden they're saying yes to Christ. So just kind of like the story we heard earlier. So I love it. We got baptism weekend coming up here. If God is moving in your life in such a way that you feel like you want to get baptized, you know, we we always say it's an outward expression of what God's doing in our hearts, right? Of what he's done in our hearts. It's a public expression of the fact that we've decided to follow Christ. If you want to jump in on that, um, just hit me up afterwards and I'd, I'd be happy to, to um, talk about what that might look like. Cool. Awesome. The other thing, um, this Thursday, by the way, we have um, open gym. And every Thursday, we try to do something different, a different activity. We might have like a movie night or, or a cornhole tournament or whatever. But at the end of the day, like we're, we open the gym, we play volleyball. It gets really intense. Um, and it's just a ton of fun. Last week, we had board game night. And there were a ton of people here. It was a lot of fun. Good times. So, um, and I, I haven't forgotten about capture the flag. I think I worked something out. I think I got, think I got something going on for that. So um, stoked about that too. So um, welcome, welcome. Um, we've been in the series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And this is our last night of the series. Um, I hope that you guys have gotten a lot out of it. I know I have. Um, we just live in a world where there's so much going on. It's it's uh, it's hard to not be anxious and have fears about things that that you know uncertainties that are present, and um, we know that anxiety is at an all-time high, depression's at an all-time high, and we believe that God has a plan to change the way that we think, to impact the way that we think. He wants to love us in that way and occupy our mind and our thoughts, and so that's kind of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Um, last week. Uh, does anybody remember our funny little rhyme from last week? I was trying it out to see if it would help us remember. So let's see if it worked. <laughs> no? Oh, nice. A different perspective can be very effective. And we talked about how we can get a different perspective on situations in our lives. We talked about how, like, our experiences and our our, our um yeah, our background and things like that really influence how we see things and we frame them in a certain way. So we might frame a situation in a particular way and we've got this attitude or this perspective on it. 
And we talked about how we can actually choose to frame it differently and get a different perspective on that situation and uh, that that can be very effective in how we feel about it. So um, plug for next week. We are jumping into a brand new series called Selfless. I don't think it is any accident at all that the iPhone is the most widely sold cell phone in history. We live in a society where it's me, 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 I, 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 and we hear it all over our, our music, the art of our culture. They say if you want to find out the ethos of a culture, you look at their artistic expression. Look at our artistic expression. It's all about me. It's all about what's happening in my life. It's all about what people can do for me. It's all about how I'm satisfied. And the crazy thing is, is I believe that that attitude, that ethos has kind of made its way into the church. And so we're going to take a bold, hard, convicting look at that and ask ourselves, you know, how do we engage in this world that is so um, self-centered? Um, and I'm really stoked about it. So check out this video really quickly. Just a little plug for next week. It's going to be really cool, and uh, and I hope that um, it helps us get a little different perspective, right, on on how we can be impacting the world around us. We went through the book of Ephesians, uh, 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 like last month, and it was big on how we can be the body of Christ and how we can impact the world. And hopefully, this series will kind of build on top of that. So excited to jump into that. Um, our minds tend to race a lot, right? Um, let's say you're a student and you're worried about the grade that you're going to get on your next exam, okay? And you're worried about it because you might not get into the right grad program if you don't get a good enough grade on this exam. If you don't get into the right grad program, you might not get the right job after school. If you don't get the right job, you're not going to marry the right person. If you don't marry the right person, the kids you have are going to be the wrong kids, and because they're the wrong kids, they're going to need braces. And you're going to have to pay for those braces because they're pretty darn expensive. And so now you can't afford to send them to college. And you can't pay for their college because you're paying off your own college. So they don't even get an education. And because of that, they choose a life of crime. <laughs> Crazy, right? I mean, that's how our brains work. We, like, go down this slippery slope, this path where like, it's like worst case scenario, right? And then I put worst case scenario on top of that. And then I put worst case scenario on top of that. And the next thing, you know, that we're, you know, we're just like riddled and overwhelmed with fear. Like, let's get real about it. Let's get real about it. Anxiety is a real thing. And, um, and worry and panic. 
We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Um, that was kind of an exaggeration, but not by much, right? Maybe um, think about the things that keep you up at night. Think about the things that keep you up at nighttime. Maybe there's some new policy or standard at your work. I've been in corporate America for a long time, and I know how these things come out, and they trickle down, and the next thing you know, your boss is sitting you down, and they're saying, you got to hit this number, otherwise you're out of here, um, or, or, or you're having performance reviews, and, and you get a bad performance review, and, and all of this stuff, and, and maybe that means you're going to have to put more hours in at your work, which means less time hanging out with your family and your friends, right? Maybe that's what it's about. Maybe it's relationship possibilities, I know that's kept me up at night a lot, and, and uh, maybe the person, uh, you know, it's kind of exciting at first, but then you get, you're getting to know the person, you realize maybe they're not the kind of person you see yourself being with long term, but maybe at nighttime you're like worried about compromises that you might have to make to keep this relationship a possibility, and, and that keeps you up at night. Did you know that money is one of the top reasons for sleepless nights? Our minds tend to race often, and, and they don't tend to go in a positive direction. Like, I'm not, I wish that if I'm up awake at night and my mind is racing, that it would be like, man, I'm so stoked about what's happening, and, you know, this is awesome, and so many good things are happening, but typically it's not that. Typically it's stress, and typically it's worry, and typically it's how am I going to pay my mortgage, and, and typically it's like, where am I going to uh, find fulfillment in my job and, and these kinds of different things that just occupy our minds. Uh, when I graduated high school, I went after, I was talking with somebody earlier today about this. When I graduated high school, I had this idea of success. Okay, and it was um, being financially independent um, via business ownership. And so I had this idea that I was going to go start a business in the financial services industry, I was going to go be independently wealthy and financially independent, and my family would never have to suffer. And then, then I would jump into what I knew God was calling me to do. And so I kind of was doing it on my own terms. And so after about 10 years, so, so um, graduated when I was 18, it was about 10 years later, I was 28 years old, broken relationships, shell of a human being, emotionally bankrupt, I mean, just addicted to alcohol, I realized, I realized that my plan wasn't the right plan. And, and um, I realized that I really, it, it wasn't about the addictions necessarily, and it wasn't necessarily about the broken relationships. I realized that I was worrying about providing for my family. I was worried about having a successful career, about securing a future, about letting go of control over my life like I'm this control freak and I, I, I cannot let go of what's going on in my life. And I realized that my issue was really about trust. My issue was really at the core of it, at the root of it, was about trust. I didn't trust that God was going to provide I didn't trust that God was going to provide for me and my family. I didn't trust that he was going to be there. I didn't trust that he was going to protect us. I didn't trust that he was going to be the source of my joy, right? I thought that the source of my joy was like having things and doing things and all of this. And I think that's important to think about when it comes to worry. Because worry 
is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. This is a strong statement. I realize that. I realize that. It's hard to stand on stage and, and call something a sin, right? Because, oh, that's, that's like, that's laying it out there. But I believe that it's true because at the heart of worry, we see this in Scripture throughout, at the heart of worry is an issue of trust. And that was definitely true in my life. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this evening. Um, we're going to look at Philippians 4, 6 through 9. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, um, it's going to be kind of a lot of reading here. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read through this, um, and then we'll jump into a quick word of prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, we read this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I love this verse. Um, we were, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, where we were writing down scripture that would come against these strongholds. Okay, If you've been following along with the series, one of the things that we learned is that the enemy sets up these strongholds. And... Um, and it's kind of like a default way of thinking. We, realize, we learned that if you think a thought, the way our brains work is that you can think that same thought easier next time. It becomes easier to think that same thought. So if we stay in this kind of negative default mode, it becomes this stronghold that's present. And the enemy uh, uh, builds this up. And, it's, and, and Paul tells us, he teaches us that we fight this by demolishing the lie of the enemy with truth and with scripture. And so what we did was we kind of did this exercise where we wrote down what that lie was what that stronghold was. And for me, uh, for many, many, many years, it was, I'm just not ever going to be good enough. And that took a long time to really fight that lie, that stronghold. And sometimes it still kind of creeps its way in, and i got to squash it again with Scripture and with prayer and, and fighting it. And um, so we wrote down what that stronghold was. We named it. And then we said, okay, what Scripture demolishes this lie? What scripture demolishes this lie? One of those, um, one of those other lies that we were talking about or, or giving examples for was anxiety and worry and dealing with worry. Uh, one thing I just want to communicate to you guys as we jump into this is this, if this is a real thing for you, as I know it is for so many people, you're not alone. I don't want to out anybody 
Otherwise, I'd have you raise your hands. But I can guarantee you if you're here and you're struggling with anxiety and worry, if we, if we all raised our hands and, and said whether or not we've ever battled with worry, I guarantee you so many people in this room would be raising their hands. This is something that we really need to unite as a community over. Because it's something, it's, I, I think it's something that most of us deal with. Most of us struggle with worry and anxiety at different points in our lives. Maybe we're in a season where we're in a little better place and things are good and we're rocking and rolling. Uh, maybe um, all of a sudden things start to deteriorate and that can cause panic and fear. And um, tonight we're going to look at another fascinating part of our brain that is God-given, God-given, and I think it's pretty incredible. Um, Jessa actually just, she recorded the video. If you've been following the series, my wife is, she's got her master's in clinical mental health, and I've been having her record like the technical, psych, psycho, psychological, neuroscience kind of stuff. And we play those videos every week, and so because I'm not a scientist, she can kind of speak all that technical stuff but she recorded the video. She was supposed to fly home last night. She got stuck in Nashville, and uh, she recorded the video in the airport, and you just couldn't hear very well because it was pretty bad audio. So I'm going to try to, my name isn't Jessa, but I'm going to try to share with you what she shared, maybe the gist of what she shared in this video. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the amygdala. What is the amygdala? It's this almond-shaped part of your brain. It's pretty small. And the way she kind of, she said, okay, here's your brain. You know, the, there's the amygdala. That's the amygdala right there. It's kind of in the center, and it's really small. And um, if you've ever found yourself in a situation panicking and you feel like, I just need to fight, flight, or freeze, your amygdala has been engaged what it does is anytime you're in danger, this tiny little God-given part of your brain begins dumping adrenaline into your body. And it says, be on guard, be aware, be alert, run if you have to. If you see a snake, the amygdala engages and you feel like, I need to run away. Um, maybe you're driving and somebody swerves into your lane and your amygdala engages and all of a sudden there's adrenaline, your palms are sweaty and you're like, dodging the car and getting into a different lane to stay safe. It's designed for your protection. It's designed for your protection. Um, maybe you hear your alarm goes, goes off in the middle of the night. You're walking through the dark. You're uh, breathing heavy. You notice that you're like, you can hear every single noise in your house. Your palms are sweaty. That's what's going on. You're, you've got adrenaline pumping through your veins. So God gave us this. For our protection, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. It's like, you know, it's, it's a thing that's there that's active. And if danger is present, it helps me get out of the way of danger or respond to it appropriately. But it's not objective. So it operates when there is a perceived threat or perceived danger. So in the case that there's not real danger, it doesn't care. It doesn't care. It's simply hardwired to protect, and it's easily triggered. It's easily triggered. That's why our amygdala needs some help. Needs some help. Where does it need help from? The prefrontal cortex. 
prefrontal cortex is the logic part of our brain. So you've got the amygdala, which is all panic and adrenaline, and you've got the prefrontal cortex, which is all logic, thinking through, understanding. So you hear that noise in the night, and you say, oh, my God, somebody's broken into my house, and you feel the panic, and then maybe your prefrontal cortex kicks in and says, no, it's probably just the cat. You're okay. You're fine. So that's the logic side. And there's always this kind of dialogue going on between the two. The problem the problem is that this amygdala is pre-wired to respond to, like, pre-programming. So let's say um, uh, I have, actually, we can just jump right into that. So um, raise your hand if you guys know somebody who's ever burnt an entire house down. You should all be raising your hands because I have burned an entire house down. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I wish I was joking. So I don't know how old I was. I don't know how old I was when this happened. But when I was really young, we had a basement in a parsonage. And that's just a word that means that the church that my parents worked at owned this house. So it wasn't even our house. And we're in the basement. There's a potbelly stove. And there's like fire in it. And me and my brother did this thing where we would pull out piece of newspaper and see who could hold on to it the longest before we had to let go because it was burning our fingertips. And uh, me, of course, the smart guy, um, I pulled it out and I was holding it 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 and it burned so bad I just kind of threw it like this and it went over my shoulder, landed under a couch, house of, in, yeah, fire. Um, I remember, all I remember from it is my mom just grabbing my brother and I in her arms like this, and she ran up the stairs, and then we got out of the house, and it was winter time, and, and uh, the house burnt down. <laughs> the house actually burnt down. But I say all of that. <laughs> I'm not a pyromaniac, I promise. Um, I say all of that because for years and years and years, I had this recurring nightmare that I was burning alive. You know, I mean, it was like terrifying. I would wake up in just extreme panic, sweat, shaking all the time. I could see it. I can see it right now. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it hundreds of times. I had this recurring nightmare about this fire. And because of that experience, my brain was hardwired that whenever I saw a fire, it was, I'm dying. I'm getting out of here. I need to go. And that was my amygdala just kicking in, preserving me, keeping me from dying from fire. You know, I mean, that's how our brains work, right? It's our experiences. It's our history. All of that is like the pre-programming. And so, you know, I'm sitting next to a campfire, and this fire's like maybe this big. It's definitely contained. There's no wind. There's no danger at all. What is my brain saying? My brain's saying, you're dying right now. You're dying right now. You're going to burn alive. That's how my amygdala works. That's how our amygdala works. So it, it's a protection measure. And it's kind of scary. But the, the whole point is that anxiety and fear and worry are real thing. They're real experience. It's terrifying. And oftentimes, these things get triggered and they engage when we're not really in objective danger, right? 
We're not really in objective danger. This is a real thing. Um, who in here has ever been in a car accident before? Car accident, most of you guys. Did you guys have like a couple of months where you were a little bit like, maybe you got hit in the rear end and you come to a stop and you're like watching all the mirrors and your hands are a little sweaty, like kind of a little bit hyper vigilant, worried about maybe somebody's going to hit me again. Maybe somebody's going to hit me again. That's that, that's that adrenaline pumping. So a couple of things to take away from this text. A couple of things to take away from this text. Um, one of the things that we learned in Bible school was um, look out for superlatives, like um, words that are maximal. And what Paul says here is he says, don't be anxious for anything. Don't be anxious for anything. And I'm immediately like, oh, that's kind of a lot to ask, right? Don't be anxious about anything. Are you serious? You know, and he doesn't just leave us hanging, right? When you're, when you're having a panic attack, uh, uh, an anxiety attack, and you're around somebody, what's the most annoying thing is when they say, just calm down. Just calm down. Like, are you serious right now? Like, do you not know? So Paul is not just doing that. He's not just saying, hey, you need to calm down. Because he goes on from there. He goes on from there. But before I go on to the next, the, the, the solution that Paul gives us for how we can be not anxious about anything, um, I just want to encourage you guys, if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. You guys have heard that before. But I believe it. He cares. He knows he knows the things that I'm worried about. He knows the things that I am fearful of happening. And he cares about that part of my life. And he cares about that part of your life too. David reminds us this so many times. He says, God, you know my innermost being. You know what I'm afraid of. You know what I'm sad about. You know the enemies in my life. You know the protection that I need. You know when to step in and be my refuge and my, my, my hiding place. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. How do we do this? He says, bring our requests to God. Pretty simple. Guys, this isn't. Rocket science, you know, if you've been following this series, it's been really, really, really helpful to learn some of these different techniques. But the single common denominator, the single common thread that Paul has said over and over and over is pray. Pray. Never stop praying. Keep praying. When you're tired of praying, pray some more. Prayer is this overarching thing that we can engage in where we are engaging with the divine, we are talking to this, to this God that knows our innermost being, and we're bringing our petitions to him. And the other thing Paul says is bring scripture to demolish these lies that are true in our lives or that are um, present, that we're thinking about, that are consuming our thoughts. Prayer doesn't just change God's heart. It actually also changes the chemical makeup of your brain. I thought this was a pretty interesting to, uh, statistic. There's a really cool book called Switch on Your Brain. It's awesome. I definitely recommend reading it. 
um, is one of Jessa's textbooks when she was in school and she enjoyed it so much. She had me read it. Uh, but in this textbook, it says it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over eight weeks actually changes your brain so much. It changes your brain so much that it can be seen on a brain scan. It can be actually measured. If you engage in prayer, it changes the way that you think. It's crazy when we read the stuff in Scripture that was written like 2,000 years ago or longer, and then science is kind of finally catching up, and they're saying, oh, yeah, by the way, prayer is a really, really good thing. It's beautiful. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this? I think um, as we wrap up this series, a couple things um, that I want to throw at you guys, just as some questions to kind of chew on, to think about in the coming days and weeks. How about we, so we have this amygdala. How about we um, take every thought captive, right? Paul says that. What does that really mean? How do we take every thought captive? Well, scientifically speaking, it means we're going to let our prefrontal cortex grab our amygdala and chill it out with some logic. Okay, maybe, maybe... Um, as as I've shared a little bit of my own experience with anxiety. And one of the things that was so helpful was as I was getting some literature and I was learning about this thing, they said, use the language like, you know, I'm, I'm obviously uncomfortable, but I'm not in any danger. I am uncomfortable, but I'm not in any danger. So I'm acknowledging that it's there. I'm acknowledging that I'm feeling something. I'm not ignoring those feelings, but I'm hitting it with the logic. And the logic is nobody has ever died from a panic attack. That's the logic. And so the truth is, is that though I feel like I'm dying, I am actually not in any danger. Paul says, take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. So um, just a couple of things really quickly. Um, this is just some, some like really good practical hands-on nuts and bolts stuff for dealing with anxiety. Okay, we want to assess the situation. Look around. Am I in danger? Am I actually in danger? Acknowledge, number two, that the past is the past, right? This thing, this car accident, it's in the past. It's not here right now. And I'm not in any danger. So I'm assessing the situation. I'm, I'm acknowledging that the past is, is in the past. I'm also acknowledging my feelings, right? Feelings are real. God gave us these emotions, and we need to, um, we say it all the time, we got to feel before we can heal. We have to feel before we can heal. And so we don't want to ignore what we're feeling. We want to we wanna engage with it. And the last thing is reach out to a friend and ask for a reality check. Um, as I was kind of dealing with some anxiety, I spent a lot of time on the phone with my dad and mom. Like just hearing hearing their voices is so calming for me, and like talking with them. And and um, maybe you've got a, a a trusted friend or a leader in your life or somebody that you trust that you can call with an SOS. And and this is kind of what I want to leave you guys with this evening. There is an awesome story in Acts. Um, and Paul, when he encounters Christ on the road to Damascus, he's blinded. He's blinded. 
And um, this had to have taken taken, I think the journey, if I remember correctly when I studied it before, it's like a couple of weeks journey from um, this town where this guy named Ananias lived to where Paul was. Maybe shorter than that, maybe a week, something like that. But it was a long time. My point is, Ananias, God said, hey, I need you to go to this place. I need you to go pray over this guy named Paul. And Paul had a reputation of being a a killer and a terrorizer of believers. So he had a reputation, and Ananias was kind of scared. But he trusted God, and God said, I need you to go, and I need you to minister to this guy, Paul. And my point is, is that Ananias would have had to leave before Paul ever encountered Christ and became blind, right? So Ananias is already on the way. God is answering Paul's need before Paul even needed it. Like, how cool is that? So Ananias arrives, and he prays over Paul. He prays over him. Again, that overarching thing that we've seen, um, the band can come on up um, as we close, but um, we see this overarching theme of prayer. And so Ananias walks in to this guy. It may have been uh, a suicide mission. It could have been um, walking into the very grip of the enemy, but he trusted God and he walked in there and he saw his enemy in a place of extreme vulnerability, blind, and he prayed over him and he was with him and he encouraged him in this season. What I want to share with you guys this evening, who is your Ananias? Who is your Ananias? Who is that person that maybe when life's fears have you overwhelmed, thinking things you never thought you'd think, battling worries, anxieties that you maybe never imagined that you would battle, Who's your go-to? Who's your go-to? I just want to encourage you this evening. If you're here and you're seriously questioning, maybe I don't have an Ananias in my life. I just want to tell you, any person in this room that's one of our leaders would love to connect with you on that level. Would love to pray with you. Would love to have that kind of relationship with you where... um, they could take an SOS and, hey, could you pray for me? I'm really struggling with these thoughts and I don't know what to do with them. Who is your Ananias? Number two, who can you be an Ananias for? I think as we're closing this series and we're going into a series called Selfless, maybe we can take time to pause and think about how We can be an impact in somebody else's life. I can think right now of two or three situations just right here in this room where somebody was available to speak truth over somebody else and it impacted their life. Just in the last couple of months, it's like, who can you be an Ananias for? I just want you guys really quickly to just close your eyes. In just a minute, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out, and I want you to say, God, would you show me 
who I can be an Ananias for. And you're going to see a name. You're going to see a name. And I want you to seriously think, get serious about how you, God can use you to encourage that person, to be truth to that person, to be a listening ear, a resource, a lifeline for a brother, a sister, a friend, a cousin that may be going through the most terrifying season of their life. One, two, three. Just take in a deep breath. Ask God to show you who you can be an Ananias Father, I thank you that I thank you that your vision for what it means to follow you involves a community. In fact, we can't follow you the way that you meant for us to follow you by ourselves, alone. I love the fact that even if we're an introvert, regardless, whatever, if we've been hurt by people, that you call us to take that risk and engage with this community of believers. God, that those around us who are hurting need us to encourage them. So many times through that, maybe being a lifeline for somebody else, God, that you have spoken to my heart. You've ministered to my heart through that. So I just lift up every person here this evening. God, would you just impress upon their heart someone that they can reach out to this week and just encourage and just say, hey, you're seen and you're heard. When you're in that dark place, reach out. Don't be a stranger. pray for each person here. If there's anyone here this evening that is just struggling in this area, maybe it's been a, an ongoing battle for, maybe for their whole life, they've dealt with anxiety and depression. God, I just pray that you would, you would move in their heart, surround them with a community, show us how to love them, show us how to be Ananias to them, them through this journey.